0: blog talk radio
1: you are listening to help for hd live the first podcast created for families living with huntingtons and juvenile huntingtons disease don't forget to find us on itunes blog talk spotify and iheart radio you can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at help to watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube, and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, and thanks for tuning in to
0: Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals, the HSG, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today... We have Nicola, if I said your name right wrong, I'm sorry, Nicola on with us from Rare Revolution Magazine, Um, and we are going to um, be talking about um, what she's doing with the magazine as well as what she deals with with a rare disease, Um, and so she's joined us today to kind of share her story and everything else. Thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really pleased to have this opportunity to speak to you.
0: So let's start with with um, who you are. So what is it that you do professionally and personally?
2: Okay, sure. So um, my name is Nicola Miller. I am the the co-founder and editor in chief of Rare Revolution magazine, which is a not for profit uh, organization which aims to be a publication and a movement to elevate the voice of people with rare disease across all stakeholders. Um, it wasn't always my background to have been in publishing or to have been in rare disease. Um, I actually was an architect by trade. So that was my original training and my, my sort of passion uh, when I was younger. And then rare disease kind of crashed into my life in 2012, which took me on a very different journey and kind of led me to where I am now really.
0: So um, what rare disease runs in your family?
2: <laughs> so actually, we have a couple of rare diseases in my family. Um, so as, when I was growing up, um, my father, and I actually I didn't really know it was a rare disease at the time because he was just very everyday about it. And he never really was involved in any advocacy or, or organizations. But he has a condition called uh, chronic inflammatory demyelating polyneuropathy. Um, and he's had that since he was in his early 20s. And so really, I grew up around that all my life. And it's quite a chronic um, condition where they have lots of relapsing and, and remission and, and very ill health. So I was around that all of my life. And then I kind of went up to uni and graduated, met my husband. And we had our first son, Edison, who at 12 months old was born with xeroderma pigmentosum, which is an ultra rare condition. There's about 110 cases in the UK. I didn't know how to pronounce it, spell it. I'd never heard of it, um, so it was completely new to me. So that's really when, I guess, rare disease as I know it now kind of just crashed into my life and everything kind of as I knew and as I planned stopped in that moment and redirected, I think, really would be the best way of describing it. It
0: became, became a passion, Absolutely, how, how Absolutely. I like to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you created Rare Revolution magazine. And, and tell me a little bit about the magazine.
2: Yeah, so that, well, the first thing we did was, um, so Rebecca, I'm, I'm one of five, and Rebecca and I are sisters, and when Edison was first diagnosed, so this is back in 2012, um, she helped us with some fundraising to help us do some things at the house, so we built him an indoor garden, we did lots of things to help kind of make life easier for, for him, and through doing that, we started to realise there was a real need for some education and resources for the XP community. So we founded a charity, Teddington Trust, which is a UK based but global facing charity that helps families affected by XP. So that was kind of our first stepping stone in 2012. And then through the years of running that, we we found ourselves getting constantly frustrated at the lack of meaningful awareness about our rare disease. Um, So we would do lots of campaigns and we do send out press releases and they'd be picked up by the media go everywhere but unfortunately they wouldn't pick up the information about the campaign we were running or about how people could support us what they would do is they'd pick up photos of my son off of Facebook and run kind of like a sensational story boy in the bubble boy that can't be exposed to daylight these sort of headlines which weren't about what we wanted to promote and they were peddling a very negative narrative which wasn't how we were living our life you know it's not how we felt about it and they were really ignoring all the charity stuff and we find that really frustrating And so over the years, we got talking to other charities and realized that they all, too, were feeling the same thing, that there was no representation in the media in the way they wanted it, not with the sensationalized headings, but with a real genuine focus on what does it actually mean to live with that disease, the good and the bad, because, you know, not every day is us sitting all sobbing, you know, that's not, I've never met anyone with rare disease who lives like that, you know, so it was about sharing the highs and the lows, but also giving hope by sharing information and research, so that's really when we we sort of came across this, well, if it doesn't exist, maybe we could create it. And it was literally as maverick a moment as that. And we thought, yeah, let's give it a go. <laughs> and that's what we did. We, so we had, we had no experience in putting together a magazine before that. We just decided we'd loved working together through the charity, which we still do. And we'd found a real niche in creating resources. So we'd created schools packs and books for children. So we thought, let's give it a go. And we did and found there was a real appetite for it. And so simultaneously we kind of run those two the the very specific disease charity for my son's condition but then this really broad cross condition global platform for all rare disease um, which has really become an absolute life passion for both me and Rebecca and actually all of our team you know all of our team are highly passionate about the subject and really it's become their life as well so Kind of, i love i love the magazine by the way um
0: oh, thank i you went so through it i went through it and i absolutely love it but let me step back can you mm. set can you tell us what because i want i want people to know what your son goes through and what yeah. goes through um so can you explain xp to yeah, sure. us?
2: so it is a recessive genetic condition um it's never appeared in my husband's family or my family before our knowledge so neither of us were ever aware that we were both carriers until we happened to get married and have this beautiful this beautiful boy um he was born in the january so from first few months we weren't aware of any issues he was a perfectly healthy we had a normal delivery normal pregnancy healthy little boy um and then kind of around about the march april the weather was getting a bit warmer we started to notice that he was getting what appeared to be like chemical burns and i actually as a new mum he was my first child I thought he was having a chemical reaction to baby bubble bath or the Johnson sun cream that we've been using. it, And actually to the point that I emailed Johnson to say, I think you've given my child a chemical burn. And they replied, that's never happened before. That seems strange. But anyway, it kind of went on over the months and we kept taking him back to the GP. And they said, oh, you know, I think you're maybe you're letting him be out in the sun too much or maybe it's uh, infected eczema was another thing. All kinds of different things. And we were going around in circles. But it got to the point that one day um i'd been outside with him um for a very limited time he'd had factor 50 sun cream on and he was covered in clothes and i'd put him down for a nap and i went back in to pick him up and literally his eyes had blistered shut and his face was swollen his hands his feet like a real severe deep skin burn and yeah. so um, we rushed him to a and e and they said oh they didn't know they stripped him off and while they were examining him the white parts of his body that hadn't been burnt were literally burning in front of our eyes. So the emergency responders just didn't know what this was, but said they'd make a referral to dermatologists, which they did. The dermatologists were very dismissive of it, actually, and and accused us of almost neglect that, you know, don't we know baby shouldn't be in the sun? And we're thinking it's April in the UK. <laughs> he shouldn't be burning from being in his pram. But, you know, this went on really for about a year and anyway eventually we got to a point of seeing someone who was very specialist who actually we have now found out to be was the lead of the national xp service that happened to be covering dermatology that day and who saw him they did a biopsy and they concluded that he had this condition so essentially what it is is a it's a dna repair disorder so whereas you and i could be exposed to daylight or uv light from light bulbs it does damage our skin but our skin has the ability to repair but somebody with XP doesn't have that ability to repair. So when they receive any type of burning, it's accumulative, and there's no no repair mechanism. So essentially they're 10,000 times more susceptible to skin cancer than you and I, they need a hundred percent protection from all daylight. So that is from the minute the sun is above the horizon to the minute it's below in the evening, even that kind of like twilight, you know, there is some UV in the, in the light. Um, Most types of, uh, light bulbs. So anything over a 40 watt light bulbs, fluorescence, metal halide, halogen, um, low energy light bulbs ironically are also unsafe. So he has to be live a life completely protected from daylight and essentially artificial lighting. Um, some patients also, so there are eight different complementations and some of those patients have neurological involvement and there's a really wide spectrum of that so it could range from maybe just a bit of high frequency hearing loss Right through to loss of gross motor skills and swallowing, uh, epilepsy and ultimately an untimely death. So um, there is a huge um, involvement with neurology. And I think often people don't realize that they associate it with a skin condition. They don't realize that actually there's a lot going on because essentially their DNA doesn't repair in lots of ways. So exposure to environmental pollutants, everything that affects our DNA, you know, taking medicine, exercising, eating, it affects everyone's DNA. And when you can't repair those activities, your body is going through a lot of stress and processes that are are damaging and effectively aging you, I guess, prematurely, which causes a lot of other factors as well.
0: That's such a good point in the aging prematurely. Um, And it sounds like you you know you had just a really hard time getting to a specialist and Absolutely. for for anybody to know what it is which is i mean that's hard to see your child go through something like yeah. that
2: and you don't know what's going on the thing for us was you know we were in front of dermatologists and they hadn't even heard of it they didn't know and you know as a skin related condition you right. would think they would have done um and also it was terrifying because you know he was my first child and when someone's saying to you, you know, they think you're doing something wrong, you start to question, I mean, I was thinking, is a child so sensitive that literally walking from my car to the house, you know, you start to think of, are you doing, you think, are you imagining it? What are you doing? You know, I got really um, sort of paranoid about chemicals. So like, I wouldn't let anyone hold him that maybe had perfume on or makeup, because I was worried that maybe there was an ingredient that was triggering this reaction, because it just made no sense to me. Um, so while the diagnosis was absolutely devastating in that moment, it was also a massive relief because now I thought, OK, this now we know what is causing this. This makes sense. It isn't something I am doing. I can find out how to make this work and what to do with it. And then I could have the tools to make, you know, life different because we just didn't know what to do with him. We didn't know whether we could. Was it to do with the sun? Was it not until we had that diagnosis? We just did not know what was causing it. Mm.
0: I'm so sorry you had to go through
2: all of that. And I think um, it's a very common tale though, you know, there's almost daily through the magazine, we speak to people and do interviews and the tales are so similar, you know, mm-hmm. this, this situation of not being believed and not being listened to. And this oh, kind yes. of, you know, and in the scale of things, we were very lucky. It was only a year, you know, for many more people, it can be considerably longer or they may still be undiagnosed. So, you know, I am aware that actually 12 months is, is, not bad in the scale of of rare disease, but certainly it was very frightening at the time.
0: So does this only pop up, like does it pop up in childhood or can it happen later on? I'm assuming that there's a spectrum.
2: Yeah, so it is genetic, so you're born with it, but lots of people are not diagnosed until they're older and because of the different complementation. So for example Edison is an XPD which means he has a very high burning profile so it's quite obvious that something strange is going on because obviously a child should not be burning under lights for example in an A&E room or in a shop um, but some of the complementations don't burn so readily but the damage is still happening but they would manifest as more um, litiginates or freckling so of course lots of people have freckly children and it's not until they maybe get older and they start to think I think that's a lot of freckles or more than you'd expect for a child that lives in Scotland or um, they look a little bit more raised or different. It's not until then that that might flag. So, I mean, we've known patients that have been in their 20s before they're diagnosed. So, of course, a lot of damage can be done in that time. So, yeah, um, there are eight different complementations which have different profiles. Some are more tend to have the neurology than others. Some have neurology very early on. Some it might be late set. essentially it's always there and you know it's in their mechanism when they're born um and because the data sets are so low i mean there's so few patients there's not enough knowledge known about which will you know who will get even in say even in xpd not all patients prognosis will be the same so it's not a predictor for what that path will look like in terms of neurology or long-term health Um so a huge amount of work still should be done in understanding and unraveling that really
0: and that's you know, it's amazing that you are turning this into a passion and not only focusing on an ultra rare disease, but your magazine is now focusing on rare across the board. So what type of articles can you find in your magazine?
2: So essentially, you can find anything if we want to engage and to share the voice of every stakeholder involved. So we will have individual Fam, individuals, families, we'll have scientists and um, charities. We work really closely with lots of charities to share the work they're doing because that's the essence of where we started. Um, biotechs, pharma, we want to hear what's going on because another thing that we have found certainly is when you have a small um, incident condition like XP, it can feel really, really hopeless because you don't know what research is happening. You don't know what's out there. It's difficult as a layperson to find out what's happening. And so we want to bridge that gap because not everybody in rare disease is an advocate. Some people just live with it, but they want to be able to access that in a really accessible way. So, you know, we want to bring that hope. And if something really exciting is happening in Bassens or in in XP or in any condition, we want to be able to bring that to people so they can find that information. But also, we really want to reach out to the general public. So we want to be somewhere where people can find really genuine content that's really um, in the tone that we we say I mean as I said our starting point was that kind of sensationalist and we've, we've done articles before where we've had um, the press have come in and, and they've want to take photos they said oh can you get your son to stand next to the window looking longingly out of it and I'm like no because he's never done that <laughs> that's not how he lives he's actually really right happy. it's normal for him right like smile. he his." <laughs> his normal
0: he doesn't know anything else so for him he's not going to look out the window that way because his normal is what he's doing so
2: i hate that it's almost like that titillation of like oh look at those poor people you know Mm -hmm. and the problem is that doesn't raise meaningful awareness because people read it in the paper and go god that's awful thank god we don't have that turn it over and they forget about it you know whereas if you can learn some real tangible facts so that if god forbid you ever meet someone who, you know, has got symptoms or, you know, of something that you happen to have read, you can be like, actually, I know what that is, and then where you can find information. So I think it's demystifying that, because I hate that narrative of us being made into victims, because I have yet to meet anyone in this community who sees himself as a victim, you know, it's not to take away the fact that there are some awful days, and I still have days when I wake up and think, gosh, is this real? Can my you know, will it really be like this for him forever, you know? But on the main it's not really how we all live so I think it's just we wanted to to put it in our voice the way people really want to be perceived and to be seen and that really important information that just needs to get out there
0: I I love it I love um what you're doing I love what you just said because it's not just um XP that deals with those struggles right like we Mm with in the HD community um we deal with it too. And, and in fact, we're, we've got this new movement started um, called um, accelerate HD um, to push um, research to include pre-symptomatic or pre-manifest because they're forgotten about, right? Like they, we, we can't participate in cause I, I am team positive, but I'm pre-symptomatic. I can't participate in clinical trials. Yeah. So, um, but when you get to the point of diagnosis, it's too late. And so, you know, but people don't know that. And yeah. we're also pushing the fact that like you said, not every day is bad. Yes, we have bad days, but you know, I was my dad's caregiver and um, I don't regret oh. one second of it. And I try to make sure that up until the end, he,
2: you know, he was involved in stuff. So And I think it's important that everybody has a voice as well. You know, it's not just the individuals, it's the young carers, it's the siblings, it's the grandparents, because it can completely unravel a grandparent to find out that someone they love dearly, you know, this cherished child has got something that's so wrong with them and they can't fix that. You know, it's everybody in the family, it's, it's the friends groups, it's all of those people that have an opinion. And I think it's important for their perspectives to be shared as well, you know, because, Often it's those people that might you know the people living with it may not have the reserve the resilience to be able to to fight that or find the cures or start the charity so actually sometimes it comes from outside of that you know, so mm-hmm. those voices really matter um and we just see ourselves as bridging the gap between Love all the different stakeholders you know and work a lot of the work we do every day is just someone will email us and it's like actually. I know someone that's working in that, or I know, you know, and it's making those connections between people that we're in a privileged position because we're in the middle of lots of diseases to be able to make connections. And that's something we find a lot of joy in across all of the team. They just love when they've been able to connect someone with something they think that they've read about, or we've learned about and it's such a privilege to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And you said it, like you said it perfectly, bridging the gap. And because
0: there is, there's this huge gap between what's needed for these rare diseases in these communities and what's, you know, the education for people who are just new to it and yep. all of it. So bridging that gap is so important.
2: I think um, also something that's important to us as well is that, you know, there's a lot of emphasis always on this kind of Holy grail of finding the cure, but not everybody wants a cure for their condition. Some people are just happy to live their life and live their best version of their life and thrive in within the limitations that they have. And those are important voices to share as well. I think there's so much m- impetus now for everyone to advocate and to push for research and everything, but not everyone feels like that. And I, I remember um, oh, quite a long time ago now, my, I have two sons, my younger son had said to, to us, oh, I want to be a scientist so that I can cure Edison's condition. And Edison looked at him like really shocked and went, why would I want to do that? That's <laughs> what makes me, me. <laughs> And he was really stunned that Rafe would think that he would need it gone, you know. And I thought, gosh, isn't that amazing that, you know, and, and I'm realistic to think that he's a little boy at the moment. So when he's older, he might feel differently. But in that moment, he was so stunned that somebody would think he would want that part of him taken away because he just said, it's what makes me me. And I thought, yeah, that's yeah. a really important thing for us all to remember as well. It's not, Aww, we're not here so to amazing. find cures and eradicate all of this all of the time. You know, there's lots of perspectives and, um, joy in the difference as well that comes with it
0: yeah that is so sweet and so you
2: have two senses is your is your other son affected by, by it as well so he's a carrier um I was actually pregnant mm-hmm. with him um when when Edison was diagnosed so which was an absolute blessing really because obviously the first question we asked when he was diagnosed was is it genetic and they said yes it is so we would need to talk to you about that before any kind of like thinking about family planning and we were like oh no number two is already on the way But actually i think it was wonderful he was because we didn't have to make that difficult decision as to whether we would have another child he was coming and that was that was it so he was tested when he was born we had um i had to have a completely black labor because none of the lights were safe so we were just in the dark with one lamp in the corner which was uh was quite lovely actually i wish i'd done it first though right Um, and then his cord blood was his cord blood was taken away for testing so we knew within three days he didn't have xd but he is a carrier so Obviously, he will have access to genetic information as he grows to be able to make informed choices for himself. So what it, is it? Is it recessive? Is it the recessive where it, both yeah. parents have to have it? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Both parents.
0: Yeah. What um, go ahead and share the um, link to your magazine. Um because I I'm going to share it on the show page as well, but I want people yeah. to be able to go in and, and look yeah. at your stuff.
2: So rarerevolutionmagazine.com. We've actually just launched our new website, which means we've got lots more online content, which is fantastic. You can also find all of our charity partners on there. And I'd really encourage people to check them out. Or if you are a charity that is keen to work with us then get in touch. And we're also across all of the social media. So LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, Um, We're not yet on TikTok, but maybe after hearing about you, it might be something we might uh, (laughs) foray into in the future. We do also have the Rare Youth Revolution, which is really important to talk about because this is a platform really aimed at children and young people. And it's a dedicated platform. It's an online platform. They also always write something which goes in the main magazine as well. Um, It's run by the young people for the young people. Uh, We have a youth team and we always welcome new members from across the world to join that. We have people in America, India, China, the UK, Europe. So anyone is welcome to get involved. We have a youth coordinator, uh, James, who is currently in post for that on an internship. And he's also working with us really closely on launching an internship program, which will probably be coming on stream next year. And the premise of that is that we've certainly realized how difficult it is for people with rare disease or carers of people with rare disease to get into the working um, into the working world. Everyone in our team has a connection with rare disease, either as a carer or has a condition that's really important to us as a company. And so we wanted to create a mechanism to help young people with rare disease get really good workplace skills to help them in their future careers. So we're partnering with lots of companies, Illumina, Open Health, um, great really established companies who are going to help us create opportunities so that people can apply through us and be allocated placements with these great companies working in the space where they can learn skills in marketing, social media, science, and content writing to really get something good on their CV to go out into the workplace with confidence and with references. So it's a really exciting development coming from the Rare Youth Revolution. So I would definitely encourage people to check them out as well. And that's Rare Youth Revolution dot com and they're also on linkedin facebook and instagram as well that is amazing um and i might actually
0: contact somebody to have them come on because we do have um we have a huge youth following um with national youth alliance in the uh, u.s but um hunting disease youth organization which is global and um, is a support for everyone who um, basically is a, has Huntington's in their family, whether they're, you know, somebody who takes care of their, their family member, and they're at risk, uh, gene positive, gene negative, juvenile onset Huntington's. So um, I might reach out about that. Absolutely. We'd love
2: to be connected with any of your young people. And, And to say that it's also open to, you know, siblings and young carers as well, you know, because, you know, as I said earlier, those voices are really important as well. So, you know, this is not exclusively just for people directly affected. It's for those young people around people with rare disease as well. So yeah, absolutely. We'd love to be connected with anyone in your community.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I will definitely share that because that can be a resource for us. I know the struggle that, especially like you said, the the young caretakers, the young caregivers who are taking care of somebody who has it. and And it's very hard to get into the into the workforce, especially, you know, after dealing with that, so um, I, I definitely will have either you or somebody else on to talk about that, and okay. I'll reach out, and yeah, for sure, so thank right. you so much for joining me today, I really, really appreciate all the information, I really am just touched by your story as well, and just love that you um, became such an advocate for quality of life, and for bridging that gap, Um, not only in your own rare disease, but for other rare diseases. I just love it. So thank you for what you're doing.
2: Oh, thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure, and I really appreciate the opportunity. It's always fantastic to meet new people and to be able to speak about what we're doing and learn more about other people. So thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it.
0: And for those who are listening, um, just make sure to tune in. Obviously, Thanksgiving is coming up for us in the U.S., So our show will be on Wednesday instead of Thursday for next week. Um, And also check us out. uh, Reach out to me or BJ or Seth about um, Accelerate HD and our Discord group that we are using to kind of bring everybody together and figure out how we're going to bridge that gap um, between our professionals are not only the clinical side, but our researchers and the HD community and really get involved. Um, We're also going to be talking about Prevent HD a lot. You're gonna hear a lot about it because it's a continuation of Predict HD. So we will be um, having interviews with the uh, coordinators for Prevent HD and hopefully Jane Paulson, Dr. Jane Paulson as well will join us to talk about everything that's going on there so until next time take care and love you guys Blog talk Radio.
1: thank you for listening don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help4HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to Help4HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.